morning, church. Today is a good day to renew my mind and encourage my soul and align with truth and walk in faith. Amen? Amen. Today is also a good day to awaken and develop purpose. If you're new to the Exchange Church, I noticed all of our new people were sitting on this side of the auditorium. It's, I don't know what it is over here. There's just I, I guess our regulars on this side are super, super friendly. That's got to be what it is. But, um, and this side, we need to do better inviting new guests. All right? I love that you're family, but let's bring in some guests as well. No, I'm just kidding. We are, um, we are, we are excited to see... Wait. We're not excited to see Chad go. We're excited for Chad. Uh, sad to see him go. Uh, Chad got a job in Tennessee, and this is officially his last Sunday. And Chad has been with us for 10 11 years. I actually knew Chad. I met Chad um, when we had Micah as a, I don't know, four or five-year-old. So I've known Chad for about 22 years, 23 years, somewhere in there. Chad's just always been in my life. And uh, I'm excited he got this, this job. We're certainly going to miss him. He's still going to be family with us. He'll, you'll see him maybe from time to time when he comes on holiday. Uh, he's always welcome to be here. We're going to be praying for his mom as well. Mom, I know what it feels like to have your children move away, to do dumb things like thinking they're adults. It's so hard letting go of adult children. I know. I've been there. We, we parents can get crazy, right? doesn't matter how old our kids get. We really lose it. Um, that's a whole other sermon in itself. <laughs> You think letting your kid go to, for all of you people with cute little toddlers right now, and you're like, oh, little Johnny's about to go off to kindergarten. You wait. You wait until they move states. It is totally just something different. Move countries. That's right. Continents. Anyway, we really need to get to the word. I could just stay on that all day. But Chad, we we love you so much. Thank you for being so faithful to this house and loyal. We're going to miss you, son. And you're welcome. Obviously, anytime you're in town, we'll put you to work. All right. We have been walking through Genesis chapter 40 last week. And I kind of harassed you last week. I wanted to know how many real Bibles were in the room. So now, just because I'm curious, I want to know how many people brought a real Bible from the intimidation that I projected. Wait, let's count. Let's count. It wasn't just intimidation. It was complete manipulation. One, two, three, wait, wait, one, two, three, four, five, so you brought two, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, seventeen, eight, that's great, that's great. Now, how many of you brought an electronic phone? I mean, electronic Bible? It's just as good, it is just as good, I just see a sea of phones, that is, that is amazing. I want to see how good you are. Let's do a little quiz. See if you can finish what I start. See if you can pick up what I lay down. Somewhere over the rainbow. I I understand that new guests know this song as well. So this this is the loud people. This this side over here. Do you know somewhere over the rainbow? Yeah, okay, okay. What about this? Can you pick this up? Um, the best part of waking up. Yeah. 
Para da da da. All the healthy people were like, what? What is McDonald's? Give me a break. Wow. You really picked up on that one. Uh, I want my baby back, baby back. Okay, that one's a little iffy. But you knew we were headed to Chile sometime, right? Okay, uh, we're going to go to some young people about my age. Come, 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 come. All right, stop. Just last week, my wife found out that word was not comma. She was like, I always think comma. It's karma. Karma, but you, he's, you know, boy George, he's a different guy. But he pronounced karma like comma. Comma, 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 comma. All right. Um, young kids, that's a good song. Um, it's, it's fun to stay at the... Wow, okay, Destiny over here on row four, her eyebrows went up and she got all excited. She loves that song. She loves the village people. Um, and I'm proud to be in an... Keep going. Come on, keep going. You know Lee Greenwood. Come on. Oh, y'all need to listen to that again. Listen to that one again. I, I love that song. That is probably one of my all-time favorite songs. However, when I was in boot camp for the United States Air Force, we woke up around... Th we woke up around 3 a.m. to that song every morning. They had loudspeakers in our dorm. Our dorm chief would play that song. and I love the song, but not at 3 a.m. We are in a series called Building Blocks, talking about the life of Joseph. And Joseph has a dream. He told the dream to his brothers, told the dream to his parents. He recited the dream. He memorized the dream. Joseph had a dream. Then he was sold into slavery with Midianite traders that were heading down to Egypt. He ended up in Potiphar's house. We've talked about that in our series, in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife accused him. She tried to sleep with him, and he said no. She wanted to seduce him, and he was a man of God and said no. And so she accused him of rape, which was false, and they threw Joseph into prison. And so last week, we started talking about the prison. And in all of Joseph's life, I never find him complaining. Joseph has had infinitely more trouble than I've had in my life. Yet I never find him in scripture complaining. I see him suffering a lot. I see him having a lot of hardship, but I, I just never find him complaining. I, I think that's important to take note as a believer and understand that we are all going to have suffering. We're all going to have hardship. We're all going to have things that go wrong. But the beauty of our suffering, when we get to 
identify in the sufferings of Christ, the beauty is it's not me in it alone. It's not even just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and onlookers. And people of the world, when they see you suffer, it's your response to the suffering that speaks to the reality of your faith. If we suffer like the world does, as those who have no hope, we don't offer them anything that they don't already have. I get that I love the mountaintop experience. I love the new jobs. I love the promotions. I love the bonuses. I love the good health. But it's in the suffering of the believer where the revelation of Jesus Christ is made known to the world. And so Joseph learns to suffer well. He had a dream and he was sold. Ended up in Potiphar's house and was going up in the ranks and all of a sudden this false accusation and he's thrown into prison. It's almost like he's riding a roller coaster. You know, this sudden reversal. What happens in our life, in your life, in my life, when there's a a sudden reversal of circumstances? When things are going bad and suddenly things are going good, it's wonderful. When you go to the doctor and you're waiting on the test results and you're on pins and needles and you get that call that everything is okay, oh man, you just have a new lease on life, you know? Before you get the good news, you're like, Jesus, I'll do anything. You, you give me that good report and I, I will even serve and eat kids, you know? You, you give me that good report and I might, I might start tithing. I'll go to church. I'll, I'll give to the homeless. God just... I'll be a, a kind person if you just help me with A, B, C, and D. And we make all these deals with God. And then the moment we have that reversal, we forget about the deals that we made. Because we're just so relieved. I, I love those kinds of reversals, by the way. When I think something's going to be bad, and then suddenly it turns good. But I wonder what happens to you and I when the sudden reversal isn't good. When things suddenly go wrong, when the train suddenly goes off track, what happens? Our marriage has just been restored, and then out of nowhere, bam, you're hit with a setback. How do you handle that? Or you're conquering addiction, and you're working through it, and you're you're making progress, and then out of nowhere, that temptation just gets the best of you, and you fall, and you filter, and you, you relapse. And out of nowhere, you thought you were headed here, and you end up back in the prison. You think cancer is in remission. You get the good note from the doctor. Everything is is going good. And then all of a sudden, now it's back. The child is finally growing spiritually. They're finally getting close to Jesus. You've been praying for them all their life. And then they do something stupid. They become a knucklehead again and go off the deep end. A sudden reversal. My question to us today is when the sudden reversal happens for the negative, how do you respond? It's easy to give God glory when things suddenly start looking good. But do you keep giving God glory when things suddenly look hideous? And so we pick up with our text. We'll continue going by line by line if that's okay. In chapter 40, we're going to pick up our text with the baker and the butler being thrown into the prison. The baker and the butler had a sudden reversal. Things were good. The baker was making bread in the palace, and the butler was 
the cut there for the king. Everything was going great. And now there's been a sudden reversal, and they together have been thrown into the prison. We're going to pick up our text in Genesis chapter 40, verse 5. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning, and he looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? Now we made a joke last week, like, Joseph, they're in prison. You really have to ask them why they're sad. But I'm actually impressed that he asked the question. He was in prison before they were. He's been in there a really long time. I'm kind of impressed that Joseph even noticed that they were sad. Because you see, there's this interesting thing about our personal suffering. When we are suffering, we turn inward. When we're in pain, we don't naturally look around the room. We don't see who else is in pain. We are so busy nursing our own wounds, wondering why my life isn't fair and things aren't going right with me. But the fact that Joseph even noticed someone's pain beyond his own is amazing. Hey, Baker and Butler, why are you so sad? A key to enduring hardship is to push the button on your own hardship, or to move forward with your own hardship, is to find someone that has it worse than you and go serve that person. If you're currently suffering, if you currently have that diagnosis, the relationship that's fraying, whatever your situation currently is, a number of us came up today needing a miracle. If you need a miracle, that tells me something's currently not right. Can I get an amen in the room? So if something's not right, go serve somebody. I help a lot of people with addiction because I, with the Lord's help, have walked that road myself. Walked the life of recovery and overcome alcohol addiction. So I've had the pleasure and honor of helping a lot of people do the same. And one thing that I often tell them is, is when you're feeling anxious and you, you've got all this anxiety going on and you're turning inward and, and you want to isolate you push people away you stay home instead of going to that party or you stay home or you go into work late instead of showing up early and taking care of what needs to happen whenever you you feel that pressure and that turmoil inside you need to get out of your own head get out of your own head stop thinking about the relationship wreck stop thinking about the temptation stop thinking about how insecure you are or how you're not good enough Get out of your own head. And I actually give them a tool that's super simple. You can do it too. I think I've shared it with you before. And maybe one of you have even done it. But when you start to get really inward focused, here's, what I, here's one thing you can do. This is what I tell the recovery world. I say, go find yourself an HEB or a Walmart. One that has carts, the shopping carts, all around the parking lot. And then I want you to put in your headphones and listen to worship music. I don't tell them that. I'm telling you. Put in worship music. And then I want you to go and find every cart in the parking lot and take it to the carousel, the buggy carousel. You know? Gather all the carts 
and put it in the carousel because you're actually helping that young 16, 17-year-old young man who's got to go out there in 104 degrees and gather all the carts in the parking lot. You're helping him, saving him time. You're serving him, and you're not going to get a thank you for it. And you need to serve somebody every week that you don't get thanked for. Some of us want to thank you for every little thing that we do, and we haven't actually learned how to be selfless. Because in our giving, we have strings attached. And so to get out of our own mind, we go find somebody to serve, somebody to bless, somebody to help, and they don't even know who it was. Isn't that great? Just help somebody, and they don't even have to know that it was you. Get out of your own head. For those of you who are fighting depression, shopping carts may not do the trick. But have you gone to a nursing home lately? Have you walked in to be Jesus to them? Just walk in and introduce yourself and say, I just want to meet some of the residents. A lot of the people in the nursing home, they've lost much of their family. They don't have any visitors. The connection is lost. They desperately, every human needs to be touched. And those in nursing homes don't get the hugs that you and I get. Even us cool dudes that don't really act like we like hugs. We're like, hey, yo, yo, ooh. Do you know what I mean? Like you do the shoulder tap with somebody because you don't like the full embrace. That's, they don't even get that in a nursing home. They get their sheets changed, diapers changed. They get rolled over for checks and medication. So when we're depressed, maybe we should get out of our own head, get out of our own suffering and realize there's a whole world of people out there that's suffering way much more than we are. Joseph noticed someone else's pain. That builds character, by the way. Sometimes we think that noticing our own pain is the way to solve it and relieve it, but it's not. The more you give platform to the pain that's inside of you, the more it will be the show of your life. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend that it doesn't exist. We've got to acknowledge it for sure and to deal with it. But the way we deal with it is getting out of our situation and into someone else's situation so that we can be a help to them. Joseph noticed someone else's pain. Then in verse 8, let's move on. Genesis chapter 40, verse 8. They said to him, the baker and the butler, remember he just said, why are you sad? And the baker and the butler said to him, we each have had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. All right, so they, the baker and the butler have a dream and they don't understand the interpretation. And Joseph says, interpretations belong to the Lord. Tell them to me. And, and that actually, Jen, impresses me too. Because if you remember, when Joseph was 17, he had a dream that got him in trouble. He had a dream that got him sold to Midianite traders that landed him up in prison. I mean, if I were him, maybe I would have been sitting in that prison thinking, dream, I don't want to hear about your dream. Keep your dream to yourself. I had a dream the dream burned me. I don't want to invest in your dream. You work it out with Jesus. But he didn't. He said, dream interpretations belong to God. Tell it to me. See, this is not 
This is not anything less than a confirmation of faith, a declaration of faith, an affirmation of faith. When Joseph says, tell me your dream, what he's really saying is, I do believe in dreams. I've not seen my dream come to pass. I I heard that I was going to be something and God was going to use me and all I found myself in is, is in prison and in a pit and I've been sold and I've been traded. I don't see the promise at all, but I still believe in dreams. You haven't seen a miracle in years. Don't stop praying for them. You haven't seen someone come to Jesus in years. Don't stop talking to them. You haven't seen God intervene on your behalf in a tangible way in years. And you hear everyone else's story and you start to ask yourself, wait, does God actually heal today? Does God actually step into humanity today in in a Kairos kind of way? Like, does God still do miracles? You may not have seen it. But don't stop believing God for it. One of the tragedies of Christianity is that we think our experience today is the way that God only operates. And that's not true. Just because you've not seen it in a long time. Joseph didn't see his dream come to pass, but he was still ready to hear the next dream. That is good. Let's read on verse 9. Then the chief... Butler told his dream to Joseph. And this is the dream. He said, Behold, in my dream, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. Everybody say, three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So that was the dream. Verse 12, Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. I just love how he jumps right into the interpretation. He didn't say, uh, let me pray about that. Uh, let me, which I'm not suggesting saying that is wrong, by the way. I, I tell people that all the time. They tell me their dreams and I'm like, I don't know. What do you think? Like, let me pray about that. Let's spend some time with you. Let Holy Spirit reveal, reveal that. But verse 12 says that he immediately just said, where am I at? Oh, 12. He said to them, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are what? Three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. So that's exactly what the butler used to do. He was the cup bearer. So he's saying, you're having a dream that in three days, three branches, you're going to be restored back to your place. Verse 15, for indeed, I was... St- No, 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 no. Verse 13. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to your former manner when you were his butler. Verse 14. But remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. I love his interpretation of the dream. It's positive. It's good. He's saying that God is going to basically lift your head. That's a biblical idiom, by the way, meaning restoration and favor. And you may remember that in Psalm 3, it says that the Lord is the lifter of our 
head. That means God is going to bring us restoration. It doesn't mean that he's going to physically lift your head. It means that he's going to bring restoration. So that's the interpretation. God is going to bring restoration to the butler. And Joseph said, remember me. Remember me. Now, here we see Joseph interpreting a dream, but also trying to find his way out of the prison. Do you see that? I don't think he's taking advantage of the moment. I think he's using wisdom. He's seeing this as a potential opportunity to get out of the prison, out of the dungeon that he's in. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. Unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians use spirituality to go limp. Well, if God wants to provide, he'll make a way. Well, That's great, but maybe you could apply to a few places as well. Can I get, I know, that's just offensive, but it's true. God said to be still, not go asleep. So there are seasons, and I'm afraid that in our, our praying to the Lord, we, we forget that he actually calls us to do something. Like partner with the Spirit so that we can find the, the gifts that he has for us. And Joseph said, remember me. God may be with you wherever you are. In the prison that you're in, God may be with you, but may not want you in it forever. Don't assume that the place you're in today is the place that God has for you forever. Put some action with some sanctified common sense. Can I get a good amen? All right, I'm running... I'm running good on time right now. So I'm going to move on to verse 16. We're going to get through. We, by faith in Jesus' name, are going to get through chapter 40 today. Do you believe it? Okay. Genesis chapter 40, verses 16 through 19. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good. Okay, so... We got the interpretation to the butler. Now the chief baker, he saw that that interpretation was good. So now the baker's like, okay, that's good. I want my interpretation now. Give me my interpretation. When he saw that it was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream and there were three baskets, white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh and the birds ate them out of the basket of my hand, on my head. So Joseph answered and said this is the interpretation of it the three baskets are three days within three days pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh from you i think i like the butler's dream better the baker poor baker poor baker He was so excited, thinking, oh, this is good news, man. Here's my dream. And then, bam, you're going to die. Oh, man. Let me just stop for a moment and and say, oftentimes in dreams, birds portend bad things or evil things. Um, Not always, of course, but oftentimes when you dream about birds, it's it's not a a good thing. I'm just throwing that out there so you can think about your dreams and pray about your dreams. I like to interpret dreams. Please don't send me your dreams. I like to interpret my dreams. Um, in my family's dream, I, I get overwhelmed with everyone else's dreams because the majority of interpretation is about what is revealed to you through it, not... Anyway, 
But keep in mind, when you're dreaming, oftentimes uh, in prophetic scripture or parabolic scripture, we see that birds pretend or portray or represent something evil. Uh, Think about Matthew chapter 13 for a moment, where Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seed. And the seed fell upon rocky soil, and what came out of the air to eat it? The birds. So the birds will snatch the seed, snatch the gospel, snatch prosperity. Birds in scripture often represent something evil. Also in Matthew 13, Jesus gave a parable of the mustard seed. Uh, It's the smallest seed in the herb garden, but this huge tree grows from it, and the birds of the air lodges in its branches. And the follow-up parables in Matthew, we learn... um, in the parable of the leaven, that leaven is a symbol of evil and birds in this previous tree from the mustard seed was a symbol of evil. So even though the mustard seed grows into a large, strong tree, evil will try to perch on its branches. Birds represent evil often in scripture. Not always, not the dove. The dove represents the Holy Spirit. So if you dream about a white dove in your your dream, it's probably something good. It's some, is, this, is this too foo-foo for you? Is this too twilight zone for you? Okay. Um, when I interpret dreams, I go to Scripture, and I find that item or that thing in Scripture, and I see how it's used in Scripture. Because oftentimes, the Spirit of God will echo those things in our dreams to communicate truth to us. Um, So, I do not believe that your great-grandma or auntie or whatever can show up in your dreams. That's not biblical. Unfortunately, I hate to break the news to anyone who loves dreaming and communicating with their loved passed away one. But the truth is, if they're a believer, they're, they're gone with Jesus. Scripturally, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. They don't want to walk up in your dreams. But God could be sharing something with you. What does that person represent to you? How did grandma make you feel? Does grandma represent stability? Or does grandma represent unpredicted wrath? Like what does she represent to you? And those that will be in your dreams. I'm taking, taking probably more time than I should on that. But I really enjoyed talking about dreams. I told you last week I'm a dreamer. I dream often God will speak to me. God speaks to me through dreams more often than any other way. I've heard him audibly once, you know, audibly, like I'm talking to you. God has spoken to me audibly out loud. Verifiably could have been no one else. I I heard it. Um, He speaks to me uh, visually very, very frequently, very often. He speaks to me in nature an awful lot, um, through nature. Like I will see something that, is happening in nature, and just Holy Spirit will drop something in my spirit about, oh, this is, and this is like the kingdom. And uh, he speaks to me, but more than any other way God speaks to me, it's through dreams. And so I, there was a season in my life where I had elevated dreams above the word of God. And I, I would rather go to sleep than I would sit at a table at 6 a.m. and read a Bible. And, and I found that I began to make dreams the idol instead of the word the leader. Does that make sense? So you have to, when we're talking about dreams, you know, how did Joseph know how to just interpret it so quickly? Greg and I were talking about that this week. Greg was like, man, I've read that chapter multiple times. How many here read chapter 40 before today? Good, good, you did your work. 
Some of you, I knew I had to just ask that because you read it just in case. I asked if you had read it. So you were like, I need to raise my hand. Good, good on you. I'm glad that you read it. Several of you read it multiple times. One thing that we have to understand about Joseph and his ability to interpret dreams, and this has to do with the character we're building, okay, is Joseph had the ability to discern. Discernment. Look at your neighbor and say, discernment. Look at your other neighbor. Wait, let me get some. Uh, no, I'm not going to get people in trouble. I was going to say, men, look at your wives and say, discernment is not women's intuition. Uh-oh, sir. No, calm down. Oh, it was just a joke. No, but really, discernment is not women's intuition. Women's intuition is a real thing. But women's, what, honey? What? I love you, baby. What are you saying on the front row? I'm lacking male intuition right now to know where I stand. Oh, she wants me to finish. Well, now I forgot what I was saying. I'm, I'm scared. Women's, women's intuition is not the same as discernment. There are non-God-fearing women in the world who have great women's intuition. Can we give it up for the women? Women are great. Come on, louder. Let's give it up for the women, guys. Now. I love women's intuition. It's great. Makes me angry sometimes, but that's not but that's not discernment. It's not discernment, and we can't confuse the two. Having a good head on your shoulders is not the same as discernment. Being able to read people well is not discernment. Understanding someone's motives and if they're there after your man or after your woman is not discernment. It's just not. It's all good things to have, but it's not discernment. And we can't get it confused. Because if we don't know what biblical discernment is, we never run after it. Biblical discernment is not even your personality style. A, a good example that you'll instantly understand. My wife came up here a little while ago and said, I, had a, I saw this thing where someone's heart, it was a good word for someone, right? I'm going to repeat just the relevant part that I need to share. She said, I saw someone's heart like float up toward the heavens and it connected with God's heart. And it was a great word and she tied it into restoration and connection and all of that, right? But I'm a pessimist. So the moment she says, I saw someone's heart float up to God's heart, I thought, dear Jesus, someone's dying. <laughs> Somebody's going to die. Who is it? Is it him? Is it me? Like, now that's my personality. So I can't confuse my personality, my pessimistic personality, to think that's discernment. Is this making sense to you? I hope it is. We got to develop discernment. Look at your neighbor and say, we can grow it. We can grow it. Let's go to Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. We got a long way to go. I don't know what. And a short time to get there. We're going to do what they say can't be done. I'm going to finish Genesis 40 if we stay here till 3 o'clock. I am going to finish this. 
<laughs> Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Don't play yet, Jordan. <laughs> Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Ready? Listen. About this, about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. All right, let me back up because now you know we're talking about the powers of discernment trained. You can grow discernment. Let me back up. Verse 13. Everyone who lives on milk, there's nothing wrong with babies drinking bottles. There is, I have a grandson that's six months old. I have a granddaughter that's 12 months old. I, well, I don't feed the, the grandson the bottles that he needs. That comes from his mom. But the granddaughter, I was able to feed her some bottles while she was here. And it didn't look weird. It's not odd when a 12-month-old is drinking a bottle. But you get a 43-year-old man sitting in Starbucks outside with his wife drinking a latte, and he's... That's weird. I've never seen it. But if I did see it, I would probably walk far away. Because it's not normal for a 43, 44 year old man to drink milk from a bottle. But I wonder how many Christians today, grown adult Christians, Bible believing Christians. There's a difference between being a Bible believer and a Bible reader. Being a Bible believer is necessary, but if you never become a Bible reader, you are still an infant Christian. If you're just relying on a, a sermon on Sunday from a preacher who preaches great, if you're just relying on that to be your spiritual food for the week, you, might, my friend, are... You're not maturing. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to help you grow. I'm like the mama bird. And I'm like, son, you're a full eagle. Get out of this nest. It's time for some of us to grow. We've got to develop discernment. Verse 13 tells us everyone who lives on milk is what? Unskilled in the word. If you're not skilled in the word, you're drinking milk. Now, it's okay. There's no condemnation. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. There's a, there's a seat at the table for every single person that's listening to this today. But you want to grow and you want to mature. It doesn't happen by dreaming more dreams. It, it, it doesn't happen by singing more songs parking more cars, changing more diapers. You want to grow and mature, it happens by opening the word, by getting skilled in the word of God. Thank you. It's verse 13. Verse 14 says, but solid food, solid food is for the mature. I'll tell you right now, Luca loves his milk. But that's my grandson. He is going to love some steak. 
He is. He thinks that milk is good. I, I, I can't wait for him to eat solid foods. I'm like, just give that boy some. He's ready for it. Hey, he wants it. He's not really ready. But he's my grandson. I know he wants it. He wants steak already. Solid food, verse 14 says. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by what? Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So you want to know what's good from evil in the world? By the way, in the last days, we're going to call good things evil and evil things good. That's what the Bible says. In the last days, the world is going to call evil things good and good things evil. And how are you and I going to distinguish? How are you and I going to discern? We discern not by our feelings, not by our family, not by our experience, not by our voting status. We discern by the word of the living God. you might should play because I'm about to really preach. You don't, you don't teach, you don't, you, I got to land this thing. So start playing. I'll think I got to stop. You don't develop discernment by reading the word of God. Consume truth. Consume truth. You read the Bible. You think about the Bible. You memorize the Bible. That's something we don't hear about in churches a lot these days. Memorizing the Bible. When I was growing up, every year I'd go to youth camp and there would be a Bible competition. And we had to memorize, well, where's Sherry? I don't know where she's at. She's probably serving. Do you, I don't remember how much we had to memorize. It was a competition, so there was like, it wasn't obligation. The whole book of John. That's right. Sherry probably did it too. We'd get home from camp, the day after camp, and she'd be like, John chapter one. Start her memorization because she, she's a perfectionist, doesn't want to fail. I would start the night before camp. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then he was with him in the beginning. And then I would get in. We would memorize the entire book of John. And for months, our Sunday school class would sit across the table and we would challenge each other and we would do it. We don't talk about memorizing scripture much in church. There's power in memorizing scripture. There's power in driving down the road, almost getting into a car accident and being so frazzled. You don't have your book with you. You can't turn to your phone. You can't even think. But a a scripture from the Bible comes to your heart. Memorize your word. Some of us know Romans 8, 28. When we're struggling and suffering with Romans 8, 28. Anyone know that one? Shout it out. I'm not trying to... Romans 8, 28. Okay, good, good. Yeah, I'll give the first few. All things... Some of us, some of, I get it. Some of us can like know the phrase, but we're like, wait, where is that found? And it's hard putting the pieces together. There's no shame in that, okay? This is not a test to see who's been reading the Bible. Romans 8, 28 says, 
all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. And so oftentimes when we're being pressed, we will quote Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. But do we know Romans 8.29? The verse after, in fact, let me just... In the lives of the Romans. Okay, Romans 8, 28. Verse 29. So when we're in suffering, we can quote, and you should quote, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Quote it, but also quote this. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So when you are suffering, You say, I am predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I'm being pressed on every side, but I am destined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I may feel like the world is out to get me, but I am destined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I may feel like life is unfair, but I am destined, predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We should memorize the scripture and then point number two, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to finish. Point number two, hold to the truth. As we read it, there's no good in reading the Bible if we're not going to hold to it. The whole truth, nothing but the truth. You know what I love about Joseph? He was just as faithful to deliver or to explain the dream of the baker as he was to the butler. Joseph was as faithful to deliver the message to the baker, the bad message, as he was to the butler, the good message. Now I love a good, I love a good butler message myself. I love to deliver a message and say, everything's gonna be okay. God's gonna deliver you. You're going you shall live and not die. Like, I get all fired up when I talk about the goodness of God and the butler message. And I'm like, yes, God's going to restore you and he's going to lift up your head and you're the head and not the tail. But there too is a place for the message of the baker. That hard truth that goes to someone and says, there is a place I think, to look at every person, men and women, who are guilty before God and solemnly warn them of the consequences. Either we believe that Jesus is the only way to eternal life or we don't. And if I believe it and someone is not leaning into Jesus, it is my obligation. I am compelled to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. It's not necessarily a butler message. It's a a baker message. People don't want to hear that these days. People don't want to hear that we are called to be salt and light. But there's a place for the baker message. There's a place for me to stand up and say that sin separates you from God. Sin separates the world from God. 
Heaven and hell are real. And forever is a very, very long time. Eternity lasts forever. What would happen if the church of Jesus Christ would value eternity more than today? If we actually concerned about the state of someone's eternity more than their feelings, their right to be heard, their right to be seen, their right to be known. How about Jesus' right to be seen, Jesus' right to be heard, Jesus' right to be known? We should care more about someone's eternity than their today. That, to me, is a baker's message. But here's, here's the catch. I'm running, I'm sorry, I'm running over. Is that all right? Can I have four more minutes? As I imagine, some of us, some of us people got really excited when I just talked about the baker's message. Yes, we should be telling people not to sin. Don't do bad things. Love Jesus. Go to church. Pay. Yes, we should be telling people. But when I think about Joseph delivering the baker's message, I don't think of him delivering it excitedly. I think he was excited to deliver the, the butler message. Hey, you're going to be restored. But then I, the baker asked about his interpretation, and I just sense Joseph takes a deep breath, and a tear runs down his cheek. And he knows that the news he's about to deliver is not going to be good news. So it doesn't get him excited to deliver the good news. He, he's telling the truth because the truth is in him, not because he's so consumed and concerned about the other person. Some of us want to tell everybody that they're wrong because we want people to see what's in us, not because we care about them. But Joseph shares truth through humility and he's faithful to choose and to speak the message to the butler and the baker verse 20 through 23 because I'm a man of my word I'm going to finish chapter 40 now it came to pass on the third day which was Pharaoh's birthday that he made a feast for all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. He forgot Joseph. The first verse of chapter 41 says Joseph was in prison another 24 months, two years, because the butler forgot Joseph. We can learn a lot from Joseph in this chapter. You, you can take a lot and you can be like, yes, I need to speak the butler message and I need to be faithful with the baker message. Yes, I, I'm like Joseph. I, I love the truth and I need to speak the butler message and I need to speak... The Baker message, like we can learn those things and that's okay. There are lessons to be learned, but, but I actually don't think that we're Joseph in this. I think we are the butler and the baker. And an innocent man came into our prison and set us free. Delivered a message and after three days set us free. I believe that Jesus is Joseph 
And Jesus has a message to deliver. And it can be good or bad, depending on if you receive it. Will you stand to your feet? I think Joseph is very similar to Jesus. But there's one contrast I see in our text. Where Joseph is different from Jesus. With Joseph, it wasn't good news for the baker. But with Jesus, it's good news for the guilty. If you're in the room today and you have at all felt some residue of guilt from our conversation today, can I just tell you, it's still good news for you. Because through Jesus, the guilty are set free. There's not some of us in the room that are being restored and God says you're not worthy to be restored. No, if you want to be restored today, you can be restored. It's all good news. It's all good news. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for Genesis 40, the banker and the butler, the life of Joseph and what we can learn, the character that can be grown. God, I thank you for the discernment that already rests in the room and the potential discernment that you're wanting to grow among us by reading our word. God, I ask that you would continue to reveal yourself to your people in the coming days and the coming week. God, that you would help us lean into what you're wanting to accomplish in this generation. If you're in the room, and as I talked about Jesus, you're thinking, I, I need to make things right. I've, I've let things slide, and it's time to come home. God has been calling you home. You're ready to say yes to Jesus. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God who gave his life on a, a tree so that you and I could be in relationship with God. And he went into a grave, he was buried, and rose again on day three. You're ready to say yes to Jesus. Will you just wave your hand at me? No one's looking around. I just want to know who we're praying for today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're watching online and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, just do something of faith. Lift your hand. Put your hand over your heart. Stand to your feet. Thank you for that hand. Church, will you just pray? There's no formula to this. It's simple. Say something like, Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he gave his life on Calvary for me. That he was placed in a grave. And on day three he raised. I believe from this moment forward, I'm a child of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you just said yes to Jesus, please take a moment to scan the QR code that's on the screen. You also can find that QR code at the information desk if you'd like to get that later. Church, can we just celebrate everyone today who said yes to Jesus? Awesome. God is good. Amen. Hey, I'll, if you're interested in leading a connect group, I want to talk to you. So Connect Group Leader signups are going on for the next few weeks. We'd love for you to say yes to that. If you want to 
do it in your home or on a basketball court or at a Starbucks. We don't care. We just want leaders. We want to connect as a church. So if you're interested in being a connect group leader, let us know. We love you guys. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.